Namaste Jai Hind welcome to another edition of ANI podcast with Smita Prakash Today my guest is three time member of parliament Rajiv Chandrashekhar Besides being a politician Rajiv is also an entrepreneur and technocrat He serves in the Modi cabinet as Minister of State for Electronics and Information Technology and Minister of State for Skill Development and Entrepreneurship Rajiv doesn't hesitate to speak his mind on administrative reforms, national security and welfare of veterans. Joining me in the podcast is my colleague Sahil Pandey. Welcome to the podcast Mr. Chandrashekhar. We're very sir. very happy that you're here with us. A million questions we want to ask you. Since you are the Modi government's go-to person on everything digital, uh this podcast will be about of course uh, Skill India, it will be about the new digital bill, but uh there'll also be politics. So I will ask you about uh, the Gujarat election, about Himachal results. But first of course about this Twitter files. I mean you have uh, said uh, that you know this is weaponization of misinformation information uh with regard to twitter, twitter files so i would want to know about this new uh, digital policy and how it's going to safeguard indians and the indian digital space but uh, before i do all that uh, for those of our viewers and readers who don't know and listeners who don't know about what twitter files is all about here's a short explainer uh because you know uh, it is a controversy and it is something which is impacting on uh, many people so i thought i would do a short explainer planer and after that ask you about this Twitter files is a document written by a journalist which exposed the blacklisting and shadow banning done by Twitter before Elon Musk bought in something that India had always suspected but was denied by Twitter employees India's IT minister said that it was a vindication of the view that all was not right with the company So Mr Chandrashekhar my question follows after this explainer that how is this new digital law that you're bringing about how is this going to safeguard indians uh, from the fallout of this weaponization of uh, of twitter as you said Smita thank you for having me this is the first podcast that i'm doing after i think 3 3 and a half years so really? okay. uh, so thank you for having me um, look uh, i have said this for some years now uh, first as a member of parliament and then after uh, the prime minister modi gave me this opportunity to serve in his council of ministers i've said that uh, we must understand how the internet has evolved mm. the internet evolved sort of it's being came it came to being uh, and evolved as a force of good and i uh, despite uh, how old i look or don't look i've been involved in the internet from the earliest days of its creation in the us and it was seen as this utopia where all things good happened good people came together we exchanged ideas there were debates and all of that was true for uh, several decades and years till the creation of this uh, monster called social media over the last decade and it has become very clear that social media as much as it represents a force of good also represents danger and user harm and one of the principal Uh, areas of user harm uh, that is coming out of social media and the internet in general is this issue of this this characteristic and rapidly proliferating uh, strategy in some sense of people using misinformation and uh, misinformation has a certain dynamic to it and we have conducted in the ministry and in the government detailed studies which shows that fake news misinformation disinformation 
has a totally different velocity characteristic, reach characteristic compared to real facts and real news. Which is boring. Uh, well, By may, nature. It, yeah, it may not be boring. I mean, it may be really factual that India launches the GSLV and puts 20 satellites in space, which is not boring. It is great achievement. It is really a piece of important, interesting fact. But uh, if there is a corollary to it, uh, which says that, um, you know, something happened uh, and there is a mix of truth and fiction and that it's a targeted at a person or targeted at an institution, we have studied and seen that it travels 10 to 20 times faster sure. and reaches an audience uh, similarly uh, that is much vaster than the, the audience for a piece of actual fact. So misinformation and disinformation for several years, governments just sort of brushed it off and said, look, it's a group of people sort of slugging it out. Ideologies are slugging it out on the internet. Why should we intervene? Why should we interfere? But over the last few years in particular, and the Twitter files uh, hmm. proves it, that the power of these platforms can be misused and abused uh, to weaponize misinformation, weaponize in one particular direction either on ideological direction or in the direction of a particular person or direction of a particular community or direction of a, against a particular state or a, a government or whatever. And that, in my opinion, is an unacceptable phenomenon and unacceptable to what the internet should be. Hmm. And that is why uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government has repeatedly said, our boundary conditions, our principles around the future of the internet ought to be that the internet is open, it is safe and trusted. Because we are the largest internet nation in the world. Right. We will have 1.2, 1.3 billion Indians connected. We have 800 million Indians connect, connected to the internet today. Women, elderly, youngsters, students. So for us, keeping the internet safe, keeping the internet as a trusted place of information is absolutely a duty for the government. Because I, we can't have a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old using the internet for education suddenly being pummeled by misinformation or disinformation and he being sort of gaslighted, doxxed, whatever, into believing things that are not necessarily true. Hmm. So it is very important for us that the internet evolve into being a safe and trusted place. And therefore, this debate on how do we deal with disinformation and misinformation. And I call it weaponization because it is not innocent. It is not simply somebody getting the one plus one uh, mathematics wrong and saying, oh, I think it is three. Hmm. It is one plus one means something because it, it is to undermine somebody. It is to create harm, mental uh, agony, uh, or indeed something more uh, on somebody or some institution or or a particular process, like an electoral process. Yeah, it could be insidious as was shown with uh, yeah, you know, so with the Yeah, so the elections. Twitter files is, is remarkable because a lot of us guessed it. A lot of us surmised that such a platform without fetters can cause harm. Uh, but it turns out that they were not only doing it, there was a group of people that were misusing the power without any oversight, without any law holding them to account. And therefore we say... The internet must grow, the internet must be accessible by every Indian citizen, but we owe it to the Indian citizen that the internet is open, safe and trusted, and that every platform is accountable to all its users. So these are, in a sense, the principles around which we are building our policies, rules, and how we view the internet and its participants. You know, you were talking about, uh, about how Indian youth 
men, women, anybody can fall prey to this because yes. we probably don't have the tools to combat this this uh, weaponization, this this weapon of uh, misinformation that is coming Correct. our way. So now this new Digital India Act that you're bringing about, you know, how is this going to equip Indians? With this, so uh, we started with uh, the new IT rules, and we started the public consultation. The Prime Minister insists that uh, whatever new law we bring in, uh, a must be global standard, must be benchmarkable with the best practices around the world, and most importantly, every Indian stakeholder in the cyberspace or in the internet domain must have an opportunity to read, understand and contribute mm -hmm. to the formation of these new laws and new policies. So giving, giving you an example, in February of 2022, we started consultation on the new IT rules. Mm -hmm. And that took us three and a half months and we notified it about a few months, a few weeks ago. And that lays out the basic framework. It says for the first time that if you are a platform and you are serving Indian users and you're operating in India, you have an obligation to make sure certain types of content do not find place on your platform. And we have laid that down in uh, letter and verse, in chapter and verse, and in, in the uh, clause what has now become famous because everybody has read it, I hope, uh, called 31B129. Mm. And those, those nine characteristics or nine types of content cannot find place on your platform and you cannot simply take the old um, uh, recourse saying that I'm only a platform, I have no control about what my users post or do. That is not a framework that is acceptable anymore. You are a platform, you have an obligation under the Indian law and these new rules to ensure that certain types of content, whether they are inciting, uh, insightful content that create religious disharmony, whether they are CSAM, child sexual abuse type of content, whether they are uh, other content which is religious hatred and national security type of issues, or indeed misinformation. So there is now for the first time a casted obligation on every platform, whether you are YouTube or Google or Facebook or uh, Twitter or anybody, big or small, foreign or Indian, that you cannot hmm. have this content. And oh, by the way, if you somehow slip up and you are not able to, in, with your content moderation technologies and tools, not able to pick up one particular instance or two particular instances, if that is reported to you, you have an obligation in 72 hours to remove it. Hmm. So there is no uh, escape or there is no out from your obligation as being a responsible platform, responsible to the safety and the trust of the internet and the safety of our digital nagrik after these uh, rules were notified. So, uh, is there a grievance mechanism? One question. Yes. Second question, what about, is there punitive action if uh, if they break some... So, uh, let me explain. And and I, I want to <coughs> lead this conversation into the, your main question, which is where is the DIA, the Digital India Act? Act. The Digital India Act will be an evolution of this thinking hmm. into a brand new legislation, hopefully by next year. Hmm. And early next year rather than later next year. Uh, the reason for Digital India Act, I'll, I will first explain to your uh, listeners and viewers, is that the IT Act, which is the real legislation yeah. that governs the internet and the technology space, is 22 years old. It was it was framed and passed in 2000. Before social media. Yeah, before social media and be, before indeed the internet in its yeah. current form. Mm. And the IT Act does not even mention the word internet, mm. uh, just for the information of a lot of your listeners. So that act was of a particular 
legacy, hmm. particular time sure. uh, in our history of technology. Uh, we are currently a country post-COVID that is increasingly demonstrating leadership to the whole technology space. We deserve modern laws and a modern framework that to attract not just Indian innovation but foreign innovation to be practiced in India. And therefore, this framework will be defined by this new Digital India Act. But the basic moving parts of that, the basic principles are already visible with the IT rules that I just talked about hmm. and the uh, Digital Personal Data Protection Bill that is just being put out for consultation, which is that we want the internet to be absolutely free from domination of any monopoly duopoly, which is the openness pack part. We want the internet to be a safe and trusted space. We don't want this toxic, chaotic, anything goes Nobody is held accountable type of a domain, which mm. is what it is today. People can say what they say. People can do what they do, but they fear no consequences because they believe that the cyberspace is very dif different from the real world where laws apply. And there is a general feeling that in the cyberspace, laws don't apply. Mm. So we want to change that. We want to reverse that perception. In particular, because huge amount of Indian population is going to be using on uh, using the internet. So I just want to say that the IT rules, the DPDP show a pathway to the eventual Digital India Act. And this as a framework will create a, a space for 1.3 billion Indians and the innovations and the economy and the services that they can all uh, use and enjoy. So I think that is our broad thinking. And, uh, you know, a lot of questions are asked about why was it done, not done earlier and why was it done? I think... And this is the other thing, Smita, that governments all around the world have treated these platforms with kid gloves for about yeah. several years and decades. Because it's a, it's a, it started taking on life form yeah, of and, its own. And, and, and the spin was that we are innovators. So governments must never regulate innovators. So a large part of what Google is or what Twitter is or what Facebook has become uh, has grown under the watch of several governments, but have with governments basically saying, no, no, light touch, we, we should not... Globally, you're talking Yeah, globally, about. globally. Yeah. All not, it's nothing to do with India. It is now that governments are beginning to respond, all around the world, by the way. Hmm. The debate of, for example, you asked me, what are the punitive consequences that are envisaged under the IT rules? The DIA, we will talk about when the DIA comes out, there will certainly be criminal consequences there. Under the IT rules, for example, I'll let me tell you one clear consequence. If the content moderation and the no-go areas of content are violated by a platform, we will withdraw what is called under Rule 7, the Section 79 protection for these platforms. And I'll explain to you, hmm. under Section 79 of the IT Act, all these platforms are protected from prosecution for any malicious content on them. Unlike, let us say, a news media platform, if you do something wrong or just yeah, you are completely yeah, accountable. Absolutely. Platforms around the world have escaped that kind of accountability. In the US, they have something called the Section 230. In India, we have a parallel called Section 79. And platforms have always pretended that, look, we are just dumb platforms. We have no way of controlling what people say or do on our platform. And therefore, we can never be prosecuted. You can prosecute them. Hmm. Now... This is fine. But then they allow them to be anonymous. Okay. So there is a, there is a, the sum of this math is that a platform which is known, has the content, cannot be prosecuted. The person who's posting it can post it without, in, with uh, absolute anonymity. 
the consequence of this is that you can do whatever you want on that platform and nobody will ever be the wiser nobody will ever pay the consequences hmm. so we we have said that is not on if you don't moderate these contents you have a casted obligation of moderating these type of contents and if you don't do it we will withdraw the safe harbor under section 79 that is government will withdraw that and you will directly face the wrath of the person the citizen who has been damaged or who has uh, been hurt by the content that has been posted on you but the onus then again comes on the citizen right no no it could be the go uh, government department it okay. could be a ministry of home affairs it could be ministry of finance it could be a government state government that can prosecute on behalf of the citizens a citizen can go file an fir and go to a state government uh, body and say look i have been uh, uh, you know uh, the, the, there's information on this particular platform that effectively uh, 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 sort of vitiates my right uh, right to life or whatever okay let's do a hypothetical yeah. situation yeah. Uh, somebody puts out an information on youtube or twitter and says that uh, okay. vandals have gone and attacked a temple in this area yeah. it's been done by people who were dressed as uh, muslims oh, we uh, don't know whether they are muslims or hindus or yeah. whatever they have gone and broken a temple right riot breaks out uh, right? right now what is the next step so as uh, what what has happened for so long has been the following which is that let us say that post was on a particular platform hmm. by a person who calls himself xyz hmm. the platform says i am not responsible for the post correct because under section 79 i am just a dumb platform this guy has done it the cyber police of the jurisdiction or the police department who, uh, who files a case for this violence under the normal crpc will come to the platform who has incited this who is this person no let me interrupt you can't even go to the platform because as you were mentioning before we began the po podcast in First many cases yeah, yeah they're not so even there for so before may of 2021 yeah most police uh, grappled with who's this platform where are they how do we reach them yeah and the address will be fresno california san francisco california timbuktu timbuktu yeah. uh, post box number so and so that got fixed because we said you have to have a grievance officer who's accountable hmm. that is done in may 2021 as a big first step now you reach out to the grievance officer the police person reaches out or the citizen reaches out or a citizen somebody representing the citizen re reaches out to the grievance officer so the grievance officer says yeah we looked at it but that person is uh, is uh, we don't know who he is because he he hasn't left his name hmm. it is mr uh, xyz hmm. in the rules now we have put something called first originator that is even if you do allow anonymity on your platform to protect somebody's privacy hmm. that anonymity cannot be a way for them to escape illegality okay uh, this is a very important thing because yeah. this is a position i've taken in parliament when a question was posed by a congress mp of all people who said why are we not making sure all social media platforms do a kyc on all their users oh goodness okay huh. now which is which is one way of regulating it so i said at the current moment our government's view is that anonymity does protect privacy hmm. and we so see no reason to uh, 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 meddle with that however that can only work if the platform is able to deliver to us in the event of an illegality let us say an anonymous person has committed an illegal act like like post child sexual abuse content or pornographic content or defamatory content not defamatory content some content that is violating somebody's rights even if that person is anonymous to the rest of the world 
the platform must have a mm-hmm. way of identifying that person but then that can be misused right but mm-hmm. governments can pressurize the no, platform no, only if there is a proven illegality okay not if i just pick up a phone on a on a on a casual day and say yo mr platform tell me who this person is yeah. that they can't do see uh, no uh, i beg to differ here yeah. see for example in iran mm-hmm. there are all these hijab protests which are happening they are obviously breaking the law right those women are going and burning hijabs and things like that we saw this happening in egypt and everywhere when those protests were happening they are breaking the law in some way but those are democratic movements the baloch are doing it in pakistan it's happening across the world wherever there are freedom movements and this movements. is a dangerous so then what no, happens no so so i we, i am not iran Yeah. We are not Iran. We are not Baloch. So let's not talk about. Uh, so yeah. I, we can't use a, a scenario or a situation in a dictatorship or a theocracy and say we will use that justification to uh, design or uh, justify something It's here. India centric. We are an open liberal democracy. Right. We, we there are rules of law. We have an obligation to those who follow the law. The the people who follow the law must have as much respect as people who want to violate the law. and those who violate the law must be not people who say as long as i violate the law in cyberspace nobody can reach me because i have a the platform can't uh, uh, say anything because they will take uh, protection under section 79 and i will protect uh, hide under anonymity and i can do whatever i want i can do i can sell drugs online i can do csam i can do uh, religious hatred i can do all of that no that is not acceptable okay so that we have put a full stop to and that is what this uh, like i said is there the, a parallel in like say in europe any liberal democracies no i think everybody is waking up to it and, and that's the other thing smita i don't think we need to keep looking at behind our back okay. and saying is anybody else doing it mm. uh, and that that is something we must get out of because we are and i say this with great uh, humility we are the largest connected democracy in the world and so we have to be setting the basis and the tone and the tempo of how the internet will be safe and trusted and we should show to the rest of the world that this is how we keep our people safe rather than keep looking at europe or keep looking at south america or usa or wherever you want and look if if people have an interest in looking at the us that is where the twitter files are telling yeah. you what the misuse and abuse was correct so, so there was this whole uh, uh, i mean i am a big one for self regulation i understand that in self regulation it doesn't happen in most cases it doesn't happen but uh, <laughs> i guess freedom for media has been so uh, so valuable for us and we try to protect as much as we can so whenever more regulation comes in it makes us fearful That no and i don't think there is a fear and, and honestly i i you know i i was the one who petitioned on the right to privacy in supreme court as an mp yeah and you I also been MP on the media fought <laughs> to get this section 66a uh, disallowed yeah so i don't think this is a uh, this is a binary that the right to free speech must not necessarily also be used to justify right to disinformation hmm. right to free speech is something we value Right, that right to free speech is the basic fundamental foundational principle around which our democracy is built but to in a sense uh, uh, extend that to implying that right to disinformation is also a fundamental right is wrong correct right to do criminal acts online is, in the name of free speech is is wrong mm-hmm. so i think uh, we have to start being comfortable with the notion that right to free speech is something 
right to disinformation mm. is a very very separate thing it creates harm mm. it creates uh, you know real And harm for social, yeah, yeah social harm individual yeah. harm and it is an issue that needs to, should be uh, not uh, conflated with uh, right to free speech right to free what? speech is absolutely fundamental to our, our and, and there will be no dilution of that at all then what would be the guidelines for a aggrieved person if somebody gets aggrieved by a post what he or she should make sure before uh, the matter is taken up by the uh, so, by the consumer so, so this is exactly what i'm saying that uh, 31b129 is not about aggrieving it doesn't deal with what are you upset about this doesn't talk about things like uh, you are defamed we are, there was a particular for example in the rules there was a thing called defamation that content that was defamatory should be removed okay. we've removed that mm. Defamation is something that a legal process will determine. That's a total civilian. Yeah, we removed it. Not yes, civil. Huh. This is one to nine lays out content of the type that is like I said. You, if you read that, it's very clear. There's nothing ambiguous. Religious hatred, hmm. incitement, again in the name of religion, national security. Very simple. CSAM. Misinformation and it says patently false misinformation. you are a pakistani agent that is misinformation rajiv chandrashekar is uh, xyz patently misinformation so there is not defamation that there is no defamation yeah mm. so there is nothing in the 31 uh, b 1 to 9 that says if you are aggrieved by the content there is nothing it talks about certain categories of content that 100% consensus is there should not be on any platform and if you continue to put that on the uh, on the platform then you will no longer have the safe harbor protection under section 79 and then you deal with those who are aggrieved by that 1 to 9 that is the uh, so that who, is the architecture concept. what are the steps then like uh, does a citizen who suppose i get called uh, a pakistani yeah. who do i go to do i go to the government do no, i no. go to you, the platform you go to the oh. platform okay and if the platform does not take it down in 72 hours and then sits on its backside and says uh, thank you uh, smita ji for your uh, email yeah. uh, we have gone on vacation while you stew in your problem uh, then you go to what is called a G- appellate committee grievance appellate committee where you will f- just forward your uh, complaint and the grievance appellate committee will be operationalized very soon you will just forward it to them it's a digital thing you don't have to show you don't have to hire a lawyer nothing as in forward it and the grievance appellate committee will rule on your uh, uh, Pro, uh, your your complaint and say whether they have to be section 79 has to be withdrawn rule 7 has to be withdrawn okay cut the finish it'll be a very smooth process but you 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 understand that the volume of complaints that are going to come in look there is no way around it okay no, there is no i want uh, your viewers <coughs> and listeners also understand <coughs> we are basically playing catch up with an internet that has billions of people on it yeah. and in india we have 80 crore indians already on it and we'll have 120 crore indians on it there is no shortcut to making sure that the internet is safe and trusted by accepting one platform at a time mm. convince them that there is this is this casted obligation that they have i have met with them repeatedly i meet with them regularly we have reports on who's complying who's not complying and if somebody has a slower curve of compliance then we pointed out to them the one of the things of the gsc will be that it will create these analytic reports of which platforms are complying and most consistent with the safe and trusted goal and objective of the government of india and india as a whole and who are not 
and it is very clear if people choose not to be uh, not to follow the obligations of making the internet safe and trusted for indian citizens then they will have to constantly fight all the cases that they have to fight in court and it is possible that in the digital india act we make this process a lot more a short circuited and collapse in the tail end of the process that we don't have to keep telling them go to gac the gac will then rule that if you don't do this it may be an absolute thing that you are then blocked in india that okay. is also one suggestion that people have given okay. that you cannot do business in india and you cannot act in india you cannot serve customers or, or citizens of india if you do not meet your obligations okay. currently we have given them a long rope huh. the, the the jurisprudence and the framework and the thinking is that we have given them a long rope and that we will give them one chance and and then then a second opportunity to take it down and uh, maybe the digital india act during the public consultations people will say look there is no need for that long rope how they have been re reacting to this uh, initiative look by and large i think platforms and uh, governments at least i have said this we don't want a adversarial relationship mm. because it is in their interest as as it is in the government's duty mm. to keep the internet safe and trusted how can anybody want an internet to be toxic and chaotic and who benefits from that certainly not the platforms who are going to get all kinds of hate mail and uh, all of that so therefore unless you are toxicity does uh, bring in more eyeballs doesn't it oh well i i think that was the that was the i'm just playing the devil's no, no, advocate no, 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 here no 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 that's fine i think that was the that was the conventional thinking okay. that the more outrages you are the more eyeballs you will get that the more you create these completely far out uh, types of stories and content the more people you will get on your platform hmm. and which may be true for certain categories of content okay. for example pornography and hmm. so on and so forth but in in bulk of the content platforms are realizing that type of an eyeball that you get through this kind of notoriety comes with other downside baggage hmm. legal criminal all kinds of other things so i would go out on a limb today and say that platforms have in a sense come full circle they have gone straight from the path of platforms doing good and then believed in for some years saying that look we can get the eyeballs any which way we can get the eyeballs of any eyeballs that we can and then realize that that comes with the own cash kind of eyeballs yeah that comes with his own cash of uh, challenges for them okay. as platforms challenges for the, uh, them to in their dealings with governments and citizens as uh, and the other customers and now beginning they are beginning the, the thing is beginning to come full circle hmm. where people say look we are all in a sense stakeholders in wanting hmm. the internet to be much more predictable hmm. much more safe so much more trusted because eventually we want the elder citizen and the younger citizen the husband and the wife the single woman the, uh, all of them to be using the internet without worrying about it they are worrying isn't it yeah it is of because course because big tech really has a monopoly on information i'm going to come to it yeah, yeah. we were discussing it uh, especially when i you know when we speak with senior citizens and all they're worried because there's so much of fraud 100%. which is happening they have so much of information how do we control no, this and, and smitha i can assure you I, i mean i don't want to overstate this the mails that i get the messages that i yeah. get are not uh, in any way uh, thing to be just dismissed Uh, there are you know the indian internet is very different from the internet of around the world 
because of prime minister narendra modi ji delivering so much of governance on the internet the profile of the internet user in india is much diverse and much more inclusive than the us where still it is a younger generation who is using it and the more educated elite that use it so in our case safety and trust takes on a certain much more urgent yeah. sort of a requirement Uh, the americans or the western europeans i mean i think the europeans are also beginning to wake up to this that and even the australians are beginning to wake up to this that we uh, that internet needs to be safe and trusted because that is the only way the internet can sustainably grow hmm. otherwise it's going to become this vicious battlefield uh, constantly tearing and pulling and people in the middle of it bulk of the users of the internet who come on to the internet bereft of any ideology or any particular uh, reason excepting that they want to uh, use it for a particular service that they are now getting digitally or deliver some work that they do digitally they don't want to be caught in all this toxicity and volatility and uh, you know th- this this sort of a f- feeling of mistrust so where are the firewalls where are these firewalls which can keep us safe for example you know you you come out with this uh, rule government rule that we can't make cash payments in hospitals you need to make it through uh, digi payments right. you make that above a certain amount but now this aims thing which got hacked right. so what happens you put no, no. in all so this information look, one of the things is clear that as we proliferate technology and the internet and we do it obviously to benefit in citizens and this is around the world and transform their lives and make it easier for them the issues of harm are also catching up hmm. the issues of criminality are also catching up now clearly aims we know it's a ransomware attack it is clear it is very unlikely to be some state actor type a state actor backed type of an entity it is very very sophisticated and it's done from across somewhere now as we have 80 crore indians and 120 crore indians coming Using, online yeah. and more and more small enterprises large enterprises government departments all getting digitized mm. issues of security also come to the fore yeah because like i said uh, user harm and criminality also will will expand it is precisely for that that these guardrails need to be built you you talked about what are yeah. the filters or what are the boundary conditions i call them boundary conditions and guardrails so the digital india act the digital personal data protection bill the it rules currently these are all is essentially talking about safety and trust and accountability hmm. and safety and trust include cyber security because if you don't feel si- secure in the cyber space then how do you get safety and trust so these are all things that have to be accompanied now, now for example dpdp bill and uh, let me since you called me here let me pitch that a little bit the digital data protection personal data protection bill is going to create a significant behavioral change amongst all those entities who collect user data hmm. because for the first time there is a legislation that makes it very expensive for you to be negligent or misuse personal data now in a in a at a different time and a different age if this data breach of aims had not been let us say due to a ransomware attack and it had been purely due to negligence aims would have been on the hook to pay a significant amount of money as compensation hmm. under the dpdp so there is going to be in the coming months a significant behavioral change in terms of how you even manage the data 
regardless of whether you're government or you're a private sector so company. You'll bring their accountability. Exactly. So that is why I said the guardrails are safety, trust and accountability. So these bills and policies that we are bringing in today, we have today. So Google I, comes under that too? Everybody will come under that. Okay. Every intermediate because that's the that's the search platform that we everybody goes yes, into. Absolutely, and yeah, and you, since you're asking, let me tell you very candidly, a search engine that has depended significantly on taking cookies with personal data of users will find that they will have to change their models on the dependence and reliance on personal data to fine tune their searches. See how many of us will will say no? I don't want to manage cookies. Everybody says okay, fine. Because it's such a nuisance. So we will mm. create this. Uh, so I how? think no. I think, uh, firstly, not many people understand what so, it is. So the, look, this uh, Smith. I think we will all, as governments all around the world, governments all around the world are grappling with this, which yeah. is that the the knowledge and foresight and understanding of the underlying internet that the big tech companies have. Yeah. There's a huge gap between that and how the governments the understand and it. users also. and the users, especially in, in India where literacy yeah, is is so low. We have to address that. That is a, that is just a fact. We have to address that. We will run these campaigns after the DPDP bill is uh, is put out there. We will run these exhaustive campaigns to tell consumers what their rights are. So who gets involved? Is it like a public-private partnership? Is it RWAs? Is it It'll be schools, everybody. colleges? We will do how? schools. We will do college. All of the above because okay. it is essentially. It is like writing the constitution, digital constitution for the digital, for the digit okay. new digital world. That's an ambitious task. Yeah, no, really. Yeah. I mean, it will not work only if the minister or the government or the minister or the ministry does a nice law. It has to be the consumers that basically understand the rights that have been given and enforce that. Yeah, absorb and use it. Exactly. Okay. Finally, the governments around the world, and in particular in India, because of the way uh, the philosophy of Honorable Prime Minister, which is we we want to create an enabling ecosystem and allow the citizens to ensure that they have their rights, and the private companies or the entities that they deal with understand what the corresponding obligations are. And finally, if there is a dispute between that, there are simple methods of making sure those are adjudicated. In this particular case, it will be the data protection board. So, if your data is given to him as a data intermediary, as a as a platform, and he makes a mess of it or misuses it, all you have to do is go to a digitally send an email to a data data protection board, and the data protection board sends a notice to the big tech platform and will find them. X hundred crores. Is there a human crores? on the other side of the interface, or is it an artificial intelligence base? No, no. How does it? In because the, see, in America, the data there is board. Yeah, on the no, no, no. It'll be, it'll, in our case, for the conceivable near term, it'll be people. People, okay. Because accountability for the decision is also as important. The reason I'm asking you is because in America, for example, these kind of problems, when you when you call back and say that okay, it can be just a hospital, you can't get through to a human. Yes. So Bots. you get stuck. Mm. You don't know where to go, especially for people. Like, I mean, especially for Indians, mm -hmm. where we have an illiteracy uh, element. Also, you know, whether it is digital illiteracy yeah, yeah. or whatever, we we don't have so many educated Indians, and it could be something like, oh, my pension has got wiped out from right. the bank, right? Right. What do I do? Do I get up and go to the bank? Sometimes you can't get up and go right. to the bank and say that my pension nikal gaya. Usne mujhse pucha that give me your security. Maine de diya and ho mm. gaya. What happens then? And then like when you were asking the Aadhaar, linking it with Aadhaar. Yes, because uh, uh, there's a cyber fraud which is happening nowadays. We 
uh, hear about it so will there be accountability regarding that as well because many of the cases are uh, still pending and unresolved so let me talk about cyber fraud for a minute i mean since hmm. you since you bring it up now cyber fraud like gaming is a t- issue where actually law and order is a state subject so if a citizen is let us say defrauded hmm. in the normal world what does he do he goes to the police station and files a case correct so even in cyber fraud as, as much as the internet is regulated by the government of india and the policies are made by the government of india illegalities and crimes in the cyber space are still the domain of the state government hmm. the issue there is the capabilities within each state police department to deal with this because this is sophisticated stuff because it is like i said the victim may be in bangalore the criminal may be in uh, some other country mm. and the intermediary the, the data platform could be sitting in another state in india so these are sophisticated crimes for which capabilities have to be built up and i want to tell you very clearly that these are all capabilities that are being built up as we speak even in other countries it is not like any other any other country is like saying no 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 we have got all the facts and we know how to do it the us is a particularly easier time doing is because they have something called the fbi mm. you know and they have the capabilities and they have the tools and so on and so forth so we don't have this nationwide jurisdiction on cyber law and cyber fraud as uh, nia no nia has but then they have to they come in when investigation is, yeah only. investigation when there is a multi state conspiracy and so on and so forth okay i think there are, there, there are some filters involved in that case yeah so the, but the original jurisdiction of the of such a cyber crime is the state government and the state police and uh, we are working with state governments and state uh, you know and the home ministry is doing that as well which is to create more and more tools and more and more capabilities at the state police level uh, the cert for example in our ministry works actively uh, which is the computer emergency response team works actively with the state governments and state police departments so when all these trouble most of these troubles at least are coming is that when you know people again and again i'm saying senior citizens because they are so vulnerable and including children where you know information is asked that give your number yeah. it comes via whatsapp or text messages so most people are falling victims via whatsapp not many senior citizens are going into the internet to do it it's coming via text message or whatsapp and they give the information right. so what happens then who do they go to no so let's let's look at an example so let's say there is a um, e-commerce company hmm. okay and you go there to buy uh, a book or something like that and you given your details and they sell you the book and then somebody from that e-commerce leaks the data leaks, yeah and a third person calls you and says aapne flipkart se ek kitab kharida hai aapko ye chahiye kya hum ye bech sakte hain give us your number hmm. now straight off the bat the person who has violated the personal privacy of the consumer is the actual original hmm. platform that took the data to deliver a service and all the citizen has to do at that point is to send a one page email saying my data given on so and so date to this platform has now come back to me through a per- another person to the data protection board if he just sends out an email the notice goes to that particular platform ki aapne data breach kaise kiya hai okay ab ab samjhe mere baat na yeah Haan. okay got so it so it will be it is not like it is still cumbersome it is it hmm. is cumbersome but it is it will get to a conclusion as opposed okay. to today people having no solution at all okay. number one number two and i say this 
uh, I said this before also. The entire idea of this framework is not that we have more and more citizens sending no, uh, notices to the data protection board. The that an obligation is put on all the platform that भैया आप अगर अपने अपने नहीं तो कुछ होगा हाँ नहीं तो नहीं होगा आपको 500 करोड़ का जुर्माना पर पर्सन हो सकता है हाँ so the idea is to create a framework of deterrence of punitive action of punitive can... action of costs of consequences and so that then behaviorally they will adapt to a new model where they respect the नागरिक respect his or her data and don't play around with it or don't misuse it or easily allow it to But this utopia where consumer is king we are really far from it no 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 I mean, i'm the first one to admit that we are far from it but uh, yeah. we will get there is my okay. fond hope right. and, that's your uh, yeah, yeah that's that, your path that, that you're working that on that is our that's the mission that the honorable prime minister has given us okay. that we have to get there because data security mm-hmm. because many of the vvips thanks uh, data is under threat and because it's a ransomware attack so how how to strengthen this security how to strengthen that sir no, no so look like i said i think as the internet proliferates and grows and as more and more institutions individuals come on to the internet uh and obviously a lot of people are going on to the internet with the view that i just want to do this or i just want to do that the issues of uh corresponding issues or uh, the reciprocal issues of security and securing yourself on the internet also become important uh, mm. objectives now aims i frankly don't know the exact detail of it except i know that they had outsourced it to a private company to manage their systems mm. and uh, and uh, that private company uh, systems what was the weaknesses vulnerabilities i have no idea uh accepting that we we have understood through cert that clearly there was a very concerted sophisticated ransomware attack on the system now could that ransomware attack have been uh, stopped protected against that only time will tell us because the investigation aims is you know you feel all the more be, uh, because aims is where all our ministers prime ministers presidents all the, the vips go top leaders yeah. go there so you know any leakage of information from there is worrying just even from a national security point of right. view no so my, my view on this is obviously for me any security any cyber security is worrisome correct whether it is an individual or yeah. whether it is a large institution or whether it is a government institution or a private institution that's glad yeah. to hear this from a no, minister no, 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 frankly 100% of course it yes. is i mean uh, we we are a, uh, you know uh, like they say oldest democracy largest democracy and every indian has the right to feel secure and safe so uh, whether he, he or she is on the cyber space or he or she is on the in the physical world so uh, but we have to wait for the whole overall investigation to get complete to understand what were the vulnerabilities if there were any or was it just purely the nature of a sophisticated attack understand in the context of terrorism this phrase is used that we have to be right all the time and they have to be right once. only once correct so in cyberspace also it is is really is is really about that because the the nature of hackers is so sophisticated today and i will say this because it it just makes for interesting hearing i i, I would think for your listeners that i am on the dark internet in couple of groups obviously not as a minister with uh, another name uh, with a different identity and i hear 18 year olds and 19 year olds talking about um you know infiltration and hacking and uh, cloning and sim cloning and cloning identities 
with a panache and with a <laughs> with a confidence that is just mind boggling okay so so we must not ever underestimate the sophistication of these people who are threatening these systems and are constantly challenging uh, uh, systems on 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 the internet now a, a very basic question yeah. they do this for the thrill of it they do it for uh, money what is, is it there's there's part thrill uh, part money um there are people who i have overheard in groups talking about how they've hacked e wallets and transferred uh, millions of dollars from e wallets uh, and you know this was a time when crypto was booming and so look it is a very sophisticated world and uh, at play are forces and technologies and minds and brains yeah. and uh, motivations that are very very uh, complex so mm. uh, i don't think we'll ever be at a time and place where 100% of our systems are completely secure like i said the whole terrorism analogy yeah. but we can certainly make it very difficult for people to to uh, test our systems as we are doing to mm. a large part of the critical infrastructure today we are we have very sophisticated systems which defend uh, our infrastructure but like i said sometimes uh, the one that gets, gets through away. gets through and uh, we have to go back and see how do they get through and make sure they don't get through again okay i'm going to move away from the danger part a little bit yep. and talk about uh, you know uh, there are several research papers on uh, regional language consumers <laughs> yes. uh, of internet in Absolutely. india and uh, most indians like to consume it said that you know internet in their local language right. and that's more hindi and tamil and so you have this very ambitious project bhashini yes. could you tell me a little bit about oh, that oh absolutely thank you for asking this question because i think one of the uh, uh, things that we uh, the world hasn't understood is about how diverse the users on the internet are because the internet originated in the us and western europe everybody just plays to this narrative that uh, english is fine uh, mm -hmm. for the internet but with 1.2 billion indians who are going to come online people want to consume the internet people want to consume content which are in their language and not go via english or via hindi uh, and so bhashini is the one big project that the honorable prime minister envisage uh, two two years ago three years ago which basically is aimed at creating a set of language translation tools that will allow better access in the language of your choice to users all across country so search engines uh, browsers email at, at one level in terms of applications and of course consume content in a, a translation mode now this has tremendous apart from the inclusion argument this has tremendous other opportunities you are also seeing the trend now on otts of how south indian movies have suddenly developed this global <laughs> mm. audience correct because of dubbing and uh, you know uh, yeah. uh, all of those language basically the same product being offered in multiple languages now imagine if that is an instantaneous process that you don't have to do the dubbing mm. that you just pass a a, a product uh, whether it's a video product or an audio product or a podcast or a video or film through a platform that comes out on the other end with the same video but with a different language hmm. uh, and that is the direction that we are going in and so it is an artificial intelligence being applied to language translation the substantial progress has been made on that 
the prime minister last mm. year long, uh, is uh, talked about it in the digital india the annual digital india day and it is a very very central piece of making sure that the 1.2 billion indians can consume the internet in the way in the language that they are more natural and more um uh, uh, sort of uh, they feel more happy doing so so in this uh, my ne- next question obviously is regarding your ministry itself will this will this give impetus to to entrepreneurship to oh, new absolutely. jobs yeah just imagine today for example and that is also part of what we'll go do, do in the dia which is apart from innovation and tech and all of that that we are seeing anyway with the unicorns and the startups and we think that is just a tip of the iceberg and will continue to proliferate and grow as we expand hmm. uh, the opportunities content creation and i mean content as in content whether it's boys movies audio short form long form there is a total explosion waiting to happen uh, you can see today the phenomenon of insta reels or yeah uh, shorts uh, yeah, shorts and all of that <coughs> is really uh, people are sitting there and making livelihoods out of that despite the fact that the monetization of that content is a really imbalanced monetization yeah. it is all done by google adsense or you know uh, or a particular big tech platform and there is no negotiating leverage yeah i actually think that there is a huge ecosystem of content creators and content economy that is going to be part of the digital economy that is just waiting to take off and that has many adjacent applications like gaming hmm. um, and of course movies and all of that uh, and uh, and i i think language and translation and creating diversity on the indian internet and therefore uh, the appetite and demand for diverse content will feed this underlying uh, ecosystem of content creators there is very interesting initiative uh, of digi yatra as well yeah uh, although it's uh, it links the aadhar and then the boarding pass uh, just to get the, mm-hmm. get through the queue so what is this initiative plus also because it will be very important as we see so much of crowd the airport At the airport is such a mess right now it's like a go to topic mm-hmm. So uh, can you just talk us about that and uh, about the security also as because per related to Aadhaar. Aadhaar? No look Aadhaar is a fundamental part of the India stack and the Aadhaar is an identity authentication piece when people use the phrase link uh, the, the word is actually a bad word because it's not a, it's not a, it's not a correct word it's incorrect word nobody is linking anything to Aadhaar it is basically authenticating that that identity which is in the aadhar database is really mr x it is an authentication process mm. so the aadhar database is a database of identities any other application that sits on it whether it is a fintech application upi or it is digi yatra or health or education Just or verification is say. basically saying this person with this photograph and this biometric claims to be smita prakash is it it's like social security in america yeah it just says yes that's it that's there's no there's no linkage in that sense so data is not getting transferred from aadhar no, no, to no, say no. airport authority of no, india no 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 it is just a yes no question okay so and you, I, is that yes. answered what you and asked? eventually it will be basically biometrics it will not you know currently a lot of people use aadhar cards hmm. eventually the idea is that no there will be no card because cards are you know reproducible and all that on authentication yeah. 
So it will just be if you want access control to an airport or go through security line or a PDA center or whatever, you just go there and do your fingerprint or your biometric, and you can, and that's it. It'll just say uh, Smita Prakash or whoever. It'll say this. This is uh, you have taken so many quintals of uh, rice from the PDS scheme. This is your balance, and this is what you are entitled to. Yeah. So it, that is where we are going. So the fundamental layer, the basic layer of the India stack, is this identity authentication layer. Which is serviced by and powered by Aadhaar. Right. So there is so, no threat yeah, as such. You know, for example, uh, recently I had gone to the US, and it was the first time that, even though they've had biometrics, it was the first time that I stood in front of the camera. It got my eyes, and they didn't stamp my passport. They didn't even look at my visa, because it's already arrived mm. out there. They mm. knew. Mm. When was the last time that I've gone there? They all that information is already there, right? right? So it was just welcome to the US. It mm. felt so good. Yes, there were lines. Believe me, because yeah. getting to the point, there are yeah, lines, right? But that is it. They, there mm. is no uh, thapa thapa. And where is your boarding card? Where which was the last port of entry? No questions asked because all that information has already arrived. So if we can get to that point in yeah. our but airports, that is the, the Digi Yatra, and, and yeah. frankly, it is not done by our ministry; it's done by the Civil Aviation Ministry. But I have studied it a little bit. Is the first step to that towards that? Yeah. Okay, which is that it basically. Uh, I just want to explain what the India stack is as as the Prime Minister has envisaged it. There is an identity layer. Identity authentication layer, and there is this finance fintech layer, the payment layer, which is UPI, and then on top of it, there will be different layers. Digi Yatra for travel air passengers, the rail rail ministry will come up with something that sits in on the same platform. Health, skill, education, that is the India stack. So typically, uh. how it will work is going forward, is that you book a ticket, and you can say I am. I know the ticket will know you are flying on so and so so and so date. And then they'll say, "Digi Yatra, do you want to enable your ticket? Digi Yatra enabled. It will authenticate your identity. And then, as you go to the airport, all you do is you put down your biometrics, and it will read back from the Digi Yatra app, in which right. you have enrolled, right. Right. that you are authorized to travel on so and so day. This is your ticket. This is your identity as authenticated, authenticated by UIDI. Uh, so there is a narrative which is going on all across the world that uh, artificial intelligence versus the jobs." uh it will threaten the jobs the human jobs uh how do you look at it what is your take on it no look digitization in general and ai in particular is is changing the nature of the workforce it is it is altering how the workforce is set up uh so the narrative is not about uh, job loss as much as the the new skills that are required for the new jobs the digital in particular and ai in 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 ai also is not reducing the number of opportunities it is creating newer and newer opportunities but they require different types of skills so if you are skilled for let us say uh, working in a manufacturing operation digitization and industry 4.0 means that you need a certain set of different skills to continue to be in manufacturing if you were just a foreman of a lathe uh and you continue to have only those qualification you will find yourself challenged by the new opportunity so i say again that digitization and ai represent not a challenge in terms of job loss but it certainly represents a challenge in terms of reskilling and upskilling we were talking about skill development and entrepreneurship yes. uh now there's there's a lot of questions which are being asked that are our traditional classrooms equipped to produce because there are jobs 
which are coming up, which you said. But are is our traditional classroom equipped and bringing out students who are equipped with that kind of information for those jobs which are being created? Look, Asmunda, the or going to be created. Yeah, so I want uh, to just share my views on it, and I'm you know just four sixteen months into this, uh, and uh, our. Uh, Uh, the the workforce is in india is a very complex workforce because we have what is called the formal workforce mm. which is a very small part of the overall workforce and then we have the largest uh, pieces what are called we call the informal workforce mm. which covers agriculture and all the other a large part of the informal workforce is unskilled and uh, if you look at it for example uh, if you look at traditionally from 2011 onwards over about 1.6 crore 15 year olds join the workforce unskilled every year 1.6 crores that is the nature the size of our challenge yeah so and then on top of it you have an opening uh, base of about 290 million that is 29 crore in the workforce who are unskilled this is i'm using census 2011 and nsso surveys okay. in that in that in the region So imagine thirty crore in the informal workforce are unskilled, and every year one point six crore children join the workforce unskilled. Okay, this is the nature of what seventy five years or seventy years of independence has and created. Educational system. Yeah. Now, the prime minister did two things which are trying to urgently solve the problem. One is he launched Skill India Mission, put a lot of money behind it, which is to say. this opening stock of 29 crore who are in the workforce 15 to 35 how can we 15 to 45 how can we give them skills and those who are already in the workforce how can we give them certificates at least mm. so that they can get better salaries because they have a certificate mm. because a lot of people have skills job oriented yes job oriented skill but they have no formal recognition of skills so mm. we ran a program and continue to run a program called RPL This is a recognition of prior learning. It is in a way a formalization of your informal skills. Example, like for example, let us say you are uh, uh, you are you work in the highway construction space, okay. yeah. and you have been a construction worker for several years, but you have no formal certification. And when somebody, when you go to a job, or somebody offers you a job, you have nothing to say excepting to say. मैंने वहां पर काम किया है वहां पर काम किया वहां पर काम किया ये मेरा सैलरी लेटर है आरपीएल salary progression and upward job mobility has been triggered by that certification hmm. so that is one that we have take we have done but the numbers and what we are able to deliver the still is a big gap i can imagine yes so the prime minister has done two one one more initiative which is the national education policy now people don't intuitively understand how does this head up uh, deal with skilled and unskilled but like i said 15 year olds are joining dropping out of school and joining the workforce every year to the extent of 1.6 crores so he has now integrated skilling into the curriculum of schools okay in the national education policy which means from 6th standard onwards a child who otherwise only had a single trajectory for growth which is i do 
स्कूल आई डू टेंथ आई डू ट्वेल्थ एंड एंड इफ माई पेरेंट्स कैन अफोर्ड इट आई गो टू कॉलेज और इफ आई माई ग्रेड्स वो गुड आई गो टू कॉलेज नाउ फ्रॉम सिक्स स्टैंडर्ड ऑन वो द चाइल्ड हैज एन ऑल्टरनेट करियर ट्रैक स्किल सिक्स स्टैंडर्ड सेवन स्टैंडर्ड एथ स्टैंडर्ड नाइन्थ स्टैंडर्ड टेंथ स्टैंडर्ड यू डेवलप सम स्किल्स इन स्कूल एज्यूम वर्स केज यू ड्रॉप आउट ऑफ स्कूल एट द एज ऑफ फिफ्टीन यू स्टिल हैव अ स्किल सो यू नो लॉन्गर आर अनस्किल्ड एंड एंटरिंग इन टू द वर्क फोर्स एज यू जंप आउट ऑफ स्कूल एज वेल सो दैट वन पॉइंट सिक्स करो नंबर गेट्स सिवियरली रिड्यूस्ड सिग्निफिकेंटली रिड्यूस्ड इन टर्म्स ऑफ इंक्रीमेंटल अनस्किल्ड स्टूडेंट एंटरिंग द वर्क फोर्स because of the national education policy so this is one we have addressed that problem by skilling in the school the second was how do we create a larger network to deliver more skills to more students so two things have been done one is the number of skill programs have suddenly gone up from 2000 to 5400 all the way from ai programming coding carpentry plumbing it has gone the entire spectrum of skills so modern age white collar skills modern age blue collar skills and instead of depending only on the skill india network of pmkk jss iti now we are allowing universities and colleges to also run certification programs okay so student now who and you have enough trainers to do that no so therefore good question that is going to be the challenge huh. the like if you suddenly expand the network where you will deliver skilling who are the people who are going to be giving the skilling training but the nature of the new age skilling programs means that a current teacher or a current professor with a slightly incremental program can also do that okay so it is also giving a teacher in a school or a teacher in a university or a college the opportunity to do beyond hmm. what he or she was doing as only teaching physics he can now teach physics and coding hmm. or teach physics and uh, uh, computer repair or hardware repair okay so it is also creating opportunities for teachers and teaching staff in schools and uh, colleges to do more than what they are doing in school and colleges you know there was a uh, you were talking about gaming platforms and at that time i wanted to ask you but then we deviated into <laughs> other topics um you know recently uh, again it's about compliance and punitive action recently uh, this uh, shraddha murder case came into yeah. uh, focus and uh, her father spoke about dating apps mm. and said that you know dating apps need to be moderated and then there are some state governments who are saying that this is causing disruption in our society because again that's another like the gaming thing right. like the others they they are not they don't come under any regulation and it's causing disruption in society what happens now is there some the law? digital india act that we are going to uh, we are talking about today and we will uh, do consultation effectively will classify the internet into various types of intermediaries hmm आज के दिन में इन दी एक्ट दर इज ओनली इंटरमीडियरी एंड इंटरमीडियरी दर इज ओनली वन टाइप ऑफ इंटरमीडियरीज फॉल इन टू दैट वन टाइप द इंटरनेट इज इवॉल्विंग दर आर ई कॉमर्स दर आर सोशल मीडिया दर आर डेटिंग एप्स दर आर यू नो फैक्ट चेकिंग एप्स दर आर डिजिटल मीडिया एप्स ऑल ऑफ दीज विल बी क्लासिफाइड एज डिफरेंट कैटेगरीज ऑफ इंटरमीडियरीज एंड रूल्स एंड रेगुलेशन विल बी स्पेसिफाइड फॉर ईच टाइप ओके again the basic principles around which these rules are being going to be built are safety and trust so if a dating app allows without due diligence a criminal or a person with a known history of uh, predating on the app and that person does predate hmm. 
and cause harm to a particular person or a or a woman or a girl the app is liable app will be liable okay so if you see what is happening smita we are going from a world yeah. on an internet where none of these platforms had any sense of accountability no responsibility they hid behind section 79 or section 230 in the us to one where very transparently we will create a framework of accountability hmm. it is not to make things difficult for them it is basically to make things safer for the users okay uh, there will be a behavioral change there will be a transition it will not be business as usual kuch bhi chalta hai wo sab nahi hoga and there will be a little bit of whining griping complaining moaning groaning all that will happen hmm. but we believe our nazar as you if you want to call that is laser sharp focused on the well being of our citizen the okay. individual hmm. and if it's a cause if it's a if it's an uh, if it's a choice between that and creating some complexity in the way platforms do business in india we would choose this uh, latter without a uh, without any hesitation Hmm. but we think we will evolve this without creating too much of burden compliance burden too much of difficulty for the platform it is for them to just basically wake up to this reality that look we have an obligation to the users of india we have an obligation to the digital nagrics and the government insists that those those obligations be fulfilled will there be a, a foundation on these intermediaries to respond to the queries because uh, even uh, the police tried to approach the dating app mm. so will there be any foundation or any timeline 100% yeah, what we have done in the it rules is that only mm. in may 2021 we said you should appoint a grievance officer mm. so then all of them appointed grievance officers some did not then we prodded them they appointed it lot of them appointed post box numbers and some ciphers and some naam ke vaste and so their response was that grievances aayenge but wo naam ke vaste we will give a response mm. now we have said that is not what we want If you want us to spell out in letter and chapter and verse what the grievance officer has to do, we will do that. But better still, we will create an appellate committee that will be a disincentive for you not to do your job. Can't fudge then. Yeah, you can't fudge and you can't sleep on the job. Yeah. The the whole idea of creating grievance officer is that you have an obligation to hear the grievance of an Indian citizen and address it. Now, if you say no, I've appointed a grievance officer, but I will then decide. Just a postal yeah, thing. I will just play the fiddle, and then on Sundays uh, play the piano, and then that's the uh, extent of my responsibility. Then I said, no, fine. We will create a grievance appellate uh, committee. They complained during uh, consultation. I said, look, the government is not interested in sitting here and looking, as you said, at volumes of complaints that are going to come from hundreds and millions of uh, consumers. You are forcing us to do this, hmm. and think of the GAC. as an absolute message of disincentive for you to not walk away from your responsibility to the indian citizen as a platform as a platform in this g20 as india has taken over okay, the presidency yeah, g20, huh. and uh, there is a very big digitization push and world has acknowledged it so uh, how do you think india will have that image of uh, of the digitization and how it will impart it to the yeah, world yeah we saw well some of them saying that we made payment through uh, google I, pay and no, no, look and i'm not handicrafts okay, i i know i'm a minister in the government and it it is my job to uh, uh, be uh, sort of evangelizing what we have achieved but i want to tell you this the world is looking at india post covid very differently what we have achieved in covid to the power of our technology enablement yeah. that the prime minister his foresight from 14 to 19 the stuff that the government of india did and that has really 
helped us distinguish ourselves so differently from every other country in the covid time people really want to associate with the india stand that covin app that yeah. itself was and all that is st- it stands on the india stack yeah the aadhar the upi and then applications of covin um, yeah. all of this so uh, i can assure you that there is nothing that we have to do hmm. it is really an organic recognition by the world's nations about the power of technology to transform people's lives during such a situation as covid all the countries of the world had to deal with the same emergency look at how we are post covid and look at where china is in in covid look at where the americans are during uh, post covid look at where the yeah. uh, british and the western europeans are so i think everybody today their vaccination certificates are on parchi in parchi exactly yes. right you know i mean yeah. and they so, don't even carry it because it's a parchi yeah and i will tell you that for example and i i don't want to divulge the name uh, a young lady minister of an african country met me recently flew all the way to bangalore to meet me gave me quite a bit of a chuff that people think of me as that important and said we want to adopt the indian stack in our country we want to sign an mou with the government of india and the prime minister has been absolutely gracious vasudeva kutumbakam we will share our technologies our learnings expertise. our knowhows and our expertise with the world's countries so that countries that can't afford to do this the americans can afford to do it the europeans can afford to do it but there are the global south there are a whole bunch of countries who would love to learn from india imbibe embed the same type of technology platforms for their governance to improve the lot of their people and uh, g20 is going to clearly be an occasion for the world's nations to engage with india and take this learning and implement it in their countries mm. uh, there is an electronic manufacturing also there is a push uh, what do you have to say yeah. and uh, what do you think uh, how how far we have reached and no look yeah that's also your ministry right yes. <laughs> 300 billion dollars by 2025 26 and 120 billion dollars in export during that period so you know uh, uh, when i i i have been 16 years 16 months as a minister and i visited about 40 colleges 40 universities one of the highlights of uh, uh, of being a minister is that i get to travel and meet uh, students and a question is always posed how do you summarize the last 7 years i mean you know it is my job obviously to say our 7 years are better than the last 50 years and i use examples that are just real examples in 2014 when narendra modi ji became prime minister we had no electronics industry in this country 10 years of upa the last decade had completely finished off electronics in this country and we were importing 92% of all mobile phones consumed in india in 2014 were imported bought okay and it was beginning to become a almost comparable importable to petroleum electronics was in 2022 97% of the mobile phones consumed in india are made in india in 2014 we didn't export nothing and in 2022 we are exporting 75000 crores of apple phones and samsung phones and other phones including the chinese brands four days ago there was a story in the times of india the front page that they are exporting from india now hmm. so the, this is the kind of we have traveled yeah so and why that is important is before covid electronics was dominated by china it is the second largest traded commodity in the world 1.5 trillion dollars is the size of the electronics market global electronics market 
and 65-70% of them that was dominated by China. Yeah. Post-COVID, the supply the, chain issues have yeah. come in. Yeah. No, no, post-COVID, the world says we want to diversify that supply okay. chain. We cannot, uh, we cannot, we don't want the concentration yeah. and we want to look at other countries. <clears throat> Janet Yellen talked about French shoring recently, India French shoring. And also ethical production of these. Exactly, trusted. Yeah. Yeah. So the Honorable Prime Minister said in February of 2022 that India wants to be a trusted player in the global supply chains for electronics. Hmm. And that is what we are doing today. So we have a target of $300 billion by 2526. We are already at $75 billion. We were zero in 14. Just to give you a context... Between 2014 and 2025-26, we will do it 10 times growth in production. So that, that is... You know, I'm going to move a little bit yeah. more towards... You know, some of the officials that we meet with, uh, Mr. Chandrasekhar, mm -hmm. as um, as journalists, when we meet them, they say that, like what you've been talking right now, these are my goals. It's like you have a spreadsheet in front of you. So the officials say that ever since these technocrats have come in into, into the cabinet, we are functioning like an MNC. Government of India is functioning like an MNC where we have goals, targets and things like that. People like you, Mr. Jaishankar, all of you who have been brought in. It's somewhat like the Singapore model. Uh, and everybody knows that Mr. Modi uh, did get impacted by, you know, reading up on Lee Kuan Yew and uh, and his model of how Sing he brought in, you know, modernization of Singapore. So tell me, is this what happens? With no, no, I, I, I think they're very wrong in characterizing it that way because I I think, the, I mean, I, have a, I'm, I can't claim to have worked with the Prime Minister for decades or years. But I certainly have been uh, an observer of his work since 2012. Mm. And he has always talked about governance with an outcome. I mean, even I, uh, when I had a few occasions to meet him as Chief Minister Gujarat, he never talked about policy in the absence of a clearly understood outcome. Mm. So he was always looking at policy and laws as a means to an end. And the end was that there will be some developmental if impact a progress impact, prosperity impact at the other side of the policy. So I think this has been going on for a long time. This is really what distinguishes his governance style from the other hundreds of other chief ministers who have come before him, prime ministers who have come uh, before him, that he is very laser focused on what he wants to mm -hmm. achieve out mm -hmm. of that particular policy or that ministry or that, or that scheme. Uh, Digital India, he did that in 2014. I recently said to him, when I for the first time I was on a dais with him and I was happy to speak about Digital India and I said, I was in the audience when you announced Digital India 2015. And I listened to that and I with great healthy skepticism. And I said it to him. Hmm. And I, I was saying because I was an MP, I was uh, I had already spent some six seven years in Parliament, and I was uh, as uh, cynical as any MP could get. But that is his style. That is his style. That he means governance with some clear, really clear outcome. For, I mean, I have worked with many bright people in my life. It is one of the good fortunes of having worked in the Valley and all of that. Get, get, he is an that, absolutely. It is a pleasure to work with him because he is very clear about what he wants to achieve. Hmm. There is no ambiguity. Uh, so when he says technology, he doesn't say technology must create billionaires. He says technology must change the lives of our citizens. That is his primary objective of Digital India. That it must transform the lives of our citizens. It must improve governance. It must improve democracy. 
and i say this everywhere that india's story pre 2014 was a story of dysfunctional government and the famous rajiv gandhi quote that 15 paise only of every 100 paise that leaves delhi reaches uh, the citizen was taken as a given for india and today to have that turn 180 degrees on its head where 100 paise reaches 100 all the 100 paise reaches is the power of technology and that is what his foresight was so i don't think it is rajiv chandrasekhar or jay shankar and bureaucrats say i think he his expectation from government as a as an entity individual members in government whether they are a minister or a bureaucrat remains same consistent unrelenting sharp demanding urgent speedy uh, corruption free all of that regardless of whether it is mr jay shankar or uh, x or y or z i i this is my view okay. and i don't i'm not embellishing it this is how i've experienced it and i you, know, I uh, you were fight. talking about the skepticism when you were sitting in the audience and uh, that is perhaps uh, what categorizes most people your generation my generation anybody yeah. that you know when we did our school and college like you you went to the us you worked on that pentium processor yeah. right yeah. tell me about that what was when you went to broadwood is like i'm done with india i'm done with that what was no. that and then why did you come back no no look it's 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 not done with india as much as i say this to students today that you live in such exciting time because you live in india full of opportunity if you are an engineering student or you're a ba physics or a bsc physics or a ba history you can look at your life post your college and think of you just have to choose which area you want to go in which direction you want to go in when we were in school and college what were the opportunities you either join no no you uh, you you got a good engineering degree then you look at uh, getting some connection and getting a becoming a trainee in tatas hmm. trainee in birlas there were some half a dozen private sector companies that you would go and try and you get even for that you needed some chacha mama to recommend you hmm. otherwise you go join government hmm. or in my case i would have looked at fauji uh, as a career because you were ha uh, because my uh, yeah, fauji but fauji. i had glasses and i wanted to be a flyer and i could not be a flyer and i had no interest in being an infantry soldier with glasses so that was folklore <laughs> so going abroad wasn't so much of i don't like india it is it was really that was the only opportunity, opportunity. okay and i i worked in uh, i worked for 6 months in a the original software startup called softtech in uh, over a greater kalash chinese restaurant i remember i worked there uh, for 6 months and my father said no you i want you to go abroad i did i had no interest in going abroad mm. and um, i sold pumps mm. for ranbacks uh, for uh, for a pump company called beston crompton i had a motorcycle and i used to go to dorala mm. sugar mills for 2 months i used to go on a motorcycle ah. and uh, to dorala and sell sugar give quotations for sugar pump so i've done all that okay but my parents wanted me to go abroad because they thought that real opportunity for coding because i had become a big prolific computer programmer i i, I loved com, uh, computer science and i remember my father after 30 years of service huh. had a total savings of 8 lakh rupees in his account and he took out all that and gave me a check in dollars and said go to the us okay. and i went with that and of course i never used it huh. but uh, that is uh, that it was not really like a thing that people did because it was an opportunity they did it because there were limited opportunities in india and that is really the big difference between the young indian today versus our generation so you went with you went with worked with vinod dham and you know you, those were huge opportunities yeah, yeah. why did you come back 
No, I uh, look when you are. I I was a success. I did very well at Intel. I was uh, recognized. I got some options. I made uh, money. I had in my life. I had a small book that I used to maintain in terms of life goals. And my goal was by the age of thirty-five that I should make thirty ten lakhs of rupees because my father's savings were eight lakhs. And for me, my life's ambition was to make two lakhs more than him okay. in a slightly uh, shorter time frame. But fortunately, but way ahead of that schedule. by the age of uh, 26 i had made much more money and i came back to india and rajesh pilot who hmm. used to be a minister of telecom those days was a student of my father's in the air force hmm. so my father very proudly wanted to show off his son to rajesh pilot brought me to delhi and i remember in the house that house of rajesh pilot he sat me down in that big lawn and saluted my father and i was very impressed with him and i remained a big fan of his till he tragically passed away uh, he said why are you in the us why don't you come we are opening up cellular and i didn't know anything about cellular he was minister of state for home right no, that he, no he that he became later huh. he was minister of state for communication okay huh. uh, and uh, he said why don't you uh, we are opening up and this is the great india and why don't you try it and i was entitled to a sabbatical in intel so i said okay let me take a two year leave of absence and i will try it out hmm. and the actual epiphany for me was when i was in guruvayur kerala hmm. it was rainy season and i had just got married i had actually come to india to do that bright searching thing <laughs> uh, you know which is what nri did those days right unbelievable. so unbelievable yeah yeah it is unbelievable <laughs> when i say that story to my children today they think it's <laughs> unbelievable but that's i did it anyway so and you know and, okay. and I, no no regrets uh, <laughs> uh i don't want my wife to think that i regret that <laughs> did so, she bring that tray of uh, chai and uh, play the tanpura yeah, yeah. no since we met in uh, in the us it was i think a bottle of soda water okay. <laughs> so anyway it, uh, but i remember the epiphany was when i was in uh, in uh, in guruvayur in a rainy season and those days you can only make long distance calls through trunk trunk yeah call. oh god and i had to set up an appointment for my green card in the us embassy here in delhi and i called and they said trunk call will take 3 hours and i said okay urgent lightning call lightning or standard so yeah. then i did lightning, lightning call. call and i could barely hear the embassy yeah. in the lightning call then i realized that what rajesh pilot was talking about cellular yeah was obviously something that this country required and that is how i stayed back okay uh, yeah and i, I no I, regrets no 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 of course not no no i i don't regret any of the twists and turns in my life in uh, why politics that's one question because you had made such a success of your life mm. in the private sector you you know media baron and everything i don't even want to go into the list i'm sure uh, our viewers our read, uh, listeners will <laughs> google you as soon as they are why politics no uh, look uh, i i do this i think it's one of those genetic defects in me that i when i see opportunities i just jump at it and grab it uh, 2006 was an unusual situation in karnataka where the government had been formed between bjp and kumar swami jds hmm. Hmm. for the first time ever and the fourth rajya sabha seat was a seat that could only be won if the bjp and jds together put up a candidate on a sunday afternoon where i was sitting at home and i just finished biryani and i had i was uh, i had sold my company bpl mobile and i was just uh, spending some time trying to rediscover myself or whatever it was and somebody came to my house a friend of mine and said i am going to meet devegoda whom i had never met by the way mm. said why don't you come along and because the movie that i was watching 
uh, and I was I used to watch Malayalam movies on Asianet uh, uh, on Sundays because that movie was not interesting. I said, okay, fine, let me come along. <laughs> Talk about yeah, and know? true fate. Yeah. I went and met uh, Deve Gowda. He was recuperating in a hospital in the Jindal uh, in the Jindal uh, clinic, and he looked at me. I met him for the first time, and he said, "What do you do?" I said, "I do nothing." He said, "Have you ever?" I do of- nothing. No, no. As in, <laughs> I had, I had uh, just got out of telecom, and okay. so he he said, "Why don't you join uh, politics? Have you thought about politics?" So I said, look, I've I've thought of politics as in during Atal ji's time, I had running battles with Pramod ji and Arun Shori. Hmm. I was the cellular uh, person, and I've I I know politics. I've dealt with politics. I've never thought of a career in politics. He said, no, there is this fourth seat, and uh, and uh, if you are interested, you should talk to the BJP. So and my very close friend and colleague was Anand Kumar ji who from mm, Kannada you know he was yes. a great brother and a great uh, mentor and we went back a long way so I and a lark went to his house from there mm. and I said uh, Anand Kumar ji this idea has come what do you think and he was of course a great well wisher man he said no you should and then I caught a flight the next day came and met, came to Delhi and met Advani ji and said look this idea has been put in my head what do you think and I knew Advani ji from the atal ji time uh, the government time and they say so you should try it mm. and then it sort of became a reality and i got in and i thought it's going to be just one term mm. uh, but then i immediately uh, very early on then led the 2g scam uh, revelation and because mm. i understood telecom and i was the one who led that and then the term got over and then i was offered a second term and then of course yeah, then, the then i decided term. that i this i want to do this full time and yeah. i i got out of all my businesses and mm-hmm. exited all the this thing and i i i've been on this full time for now uh, i think from 2000 almost 14 yeah you know you you uh, are very vocal on uh, national security matters and also on the welfare of veterans yes. you've talked a lot about that now the recent uh, loss electoral loss in himachal firstly congratulations on the victory in gujarat that has been fabulous for your party yeah, absolutely now uh, but of course being a journalist i'm going to talk about the losses yeah, first so uh, the himachal loss uh, many were saying that it's probably because uh, people in himachal pradesh were not did not buy in into the agnipat scheme mm-hmm. that's where the problem occurred because himachal sends you know i i think i don't have the exact figures but uh, there are like some uh, 2 lakhs or something of uh, 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 people mm-hmm. 2.8 lakh people from himachal pradesh who are in the armed forces currently sure so you know they are not too happy with the agnipat scheme because they feel so many of them you even when you drive mm-hmm. in himachal pradesh you'll notice people exercising all over no, the absolutely, place absolutely. wanting to get in into the the forge sure. and they feel ab ye 3 saal mein wapas aa jayenge mm-hmm. so there is there is still not that faith in the agnipat scheme and that anger translated into you know negative voting no so there are two separate questions you're asking yes. one is the cause of the defeat and yes. that is of course beyond my pay scale and i i really don't know i haven't studied it but it's too close a contest to basically say that there was any mandate against the bjp many things could go wrong i have been involved sure. in elections for several years and in several states never in himachal so i think we will wait for Uh, the analysis before we come to a conclusion okay. of what caused that defeat was it internally our weakness because every time we any time we lose to the congress mm. or if we ever lose to the congress i feel 
that it is uh, to do with us doing something wrong rather than anybody in his right mind wanting to vote okay there's a lot of analysis on that yeah, also that so, the bjp defeats the bjp yeah so anyway so that's a separate uh, sure. podcast and we'll discuss that separately okay uh, but on the issue of agnipat and i i say this uh, with seriousness it is a very powerful and a very good thing for the future of our armed forces and the future of indian youth uh, unfortunately as with the farm bill we have allowed some of the fake narratives or the not so true narratives of this to get ahead of the actual narrative of agnipat what does agnipat do agnipat basically says for a lot of youngsters who want to pursue a full time career in the armed forces there is no change but there are a lot of youngsters whom i have met also by the way who say no we want a short term association with the armed forces and then we want to come out and continue to do what we want to do startups uh, agriculture whatever it creates an opportunity for them hmm. it does not change in any way the uh, number of people who go into the armed forces it does not change in any way the size of the armed force and therefore the absorption of people into the permanent cadre of the armed forces is not going to reduce by any stretch of imagination so uh, but the, some, you feel communication uh, yeah, maybe possible or was inadequate but fake narrative fake narrative has gotten ahead of the uh, true narrative uh, sometimes we uh, it is not unusual for us to believe that if you do good that the goodness of it will create a momentum but like i said to you that there is enough evidence that a fake narrative has the ability to gather steam gather steam own. faster and reach a larger audience by which time the the true narrative takes it's an uphill task for them to dismantle that so and, and i think agnipat is 100% about that it is a powerful modern a uh, way for our armed forces to be modernized made younger over the next 5 years 10 years time it does not change in any which way the composition or the abilities for people who want permanent careers in the armed forces does not restrict that in any way but it creates an additional element of short term people who want to come in and then want to not do the armed forces for the rest of their life and want to do something else in uh, it's also an extension of what you were talking about in skill development because they are equipped now with new skills absolutely which they can use in the private no, sector no, but uh, i have met youngsters i have met so many students who say we don't want to do this full time hmm. we don't want to join the armed forces as a career we want to serve our nation for 3 years 5 years and then we want to go and do our thing right because there are so many other opportunities for example what could be uh, some of the things that they could do after this i mean you can come in do a 3 year short you know the old days short, short service commission the same way if you are a, a fighting soldier or an airman you come and do a short term uh, get the skills and go out there and either become an entrepreneur become the, the drone pilot drone pilot go yeah. do start a business go got uh, jobs go pursue higher education hmm. Uh, my father came into the air force as an airman as an airman oh, he, okay. and he wo- worked his way up and became a officer became a flyer and and it was a struggle yeah this allows uh, somebody to get skills and become go out there make some money in those 3 years 4 years go get free education and absolutely qualitatively change his career trajectory uh, instead of remaining an airman all his life or remaining yeah. a soldier all his life so i think that narrative didn't go out there powerfully enough hmm. or or if it did 
इट वॉज इन अ सेंस प्रियमटेड बाई द फेक नरेटिव कि आप लोगों को तीन साल के बाद निकाल देंगे छुट्टी कर देंगे विच इज नॉट रियली नॉट एट ऑल द आइडिया ऑफ द अग्निपथ एंड बाई द वे ऑल मॉडर्न फाइटिंग कॉम्बैट फोर्सेज द यू एस एवरी अदर फोर्स हैज अडेप्टेड टू दिस एंड यूज दिस एज अ वे ऑफ क्रिएटिंग अ कोर आर्मी एंड हैविंग द वॉल्टी ऑफ फोर्स the yeah. short term force come in and then pursue so do the, the national service so the fake service. narrative also was that you're creating one a mercenary army not totally committed uh, and two uh, an incompletely trained officer uh, or an incomplete soldier when you this put him a, here and cannon is, fodder yeah, that this, is the third yeah, thing no look this is some some of these retired uh, i know a few retired generals and the purists the actual you know hardcore uh, and and they you know i have great respect for them but I think they fail to understand that you can be a committed soldier uh, without having to be uh, for the rest of your life a soldier. Yeah, okay. And I think that is the basic uh, thing that they they haven't picked up or they don't want to pick up or they don't want to acknowledge. Okay. Uh, the Indian youth is a is a patriotic young person and uh, given the tools given given the opportunity to serve the country he wants to do it she wants to do it and we must create opportunities for them to do it and by the way the quality of our society all of the other downstream impact of having people who have gone through service to the nation and then coming into the civilian life as tremendous, tremendous other yeah. benefits to society at large imagine if you have more and more uh, people in the police more and more people in civil administration who come after having seen up close and center experiencing what national service is about and take those ethos and values into government in general in bureaucracy in administration which you brought i mean before i wrap up i'm going to ask you mm. two questions one is about your life also because what you were talking about you've also lived in cantonments you bring about that in your in your commitment towards uh, you know your nationalism or your when you talk about uh, veterans mm. i see that when you speak about it tell me a little bit about your life no uh, so no i i don't want to make it sound like a fairy tale or any of that but you know i have grown up around men and women uh, uh, men in uniform and their families all my life i mean all my young life youth life shape the time the life part of the life that shapes your thinking and i have seen them only interested in in a sense mission india they never talked about anything other than that uh, and i have played badminton as a youngster on a badminton court uh, with a fighter pilot to find two days later that he died in a crash so these are people you know real people and real lives that i've experienced and their entire common thread amongst all of them and their families was that they were there for a cause and they were putting all this effort putting their lives on the line because they believed in this cause and that cause was mother india the the country that they served so that has you know as much as you think that it becomes it, intrinsic yeah, to you it becomes right? in your dna it becomes in your people don't get it sometimes people think that it's an it is an act people think it's you're putting on is ultra patriotism all of that you said but you know this is part of the dna of most foji kids even today my dad uh, at the age of 84 goes off to the national war memorial you had to hold him down and he goes and sit you know is high high point in his uh, years uh, calendar is when he goes off and snaps a salute at the memorial so those things do leave an indelible sort of a mark in your uh, let's say the who you are 
could that and i'm be glad the that it has in my case i'm i'm very glad that it has could that be a reason why you move towards national service towards no, no, public I, I, service and again i say i have said this publicly for me the fact that i couldn't serve my nation in uniform uh in a sense i i think i'm compensating mm-hmm. by serving in public life now and i i seriously consider this as a mission to serve uh i don't see this as uh, i don't see politics as power or uh influence and all of that and i that is why i really believe in uh, the the way honorable prime minister talks about public life about sevak about this is public service rather than uh, i am the more powerful minister or you are the less powerful or all of that so i think that comes from my own uh, background of being around people who saw duty as a calling and i i think this is a calling for me i'm going to wrap up with karnataka my home state and you are from you're an mp from karnataka tell me where are we in politics in karnataka because it seems that both the congress and the bjp both of them are on a weak wicket and it serves either party's purpose no, I don't that think it's so, so fragmented yeah, the leadership yeah no i think look there is uh, it's it's close to election time and there will be noise and chatter and all of that that's par for the course but uh, under uh, the cm he is a new cm he is just he's uh, he's in a sense been put into the deep end of the pool uh, a year or so ago we have established that administratively from a point of view of governance we are leaving a mark we are following the prime minister's uh, footstep and the large scale delivery of government of india schemes without discrimination without fear or favor across the landscape of citizens of karnataka is really what we are going to go back to the people and seek another mandate with. which you did in uh, gujarat you did in uh, uttar Absolutely. pradesh this whole labharti voters yeah. those who have benefited from government beneficiaries of good governance i call it that finally the relationship between a citizen and a government is that of how i benefited from that but government but in karnataka is it there because there's a lot that people say that the corruption uh, is so phenomenal in karnataka that it doesn't the labharthis aren't so many no 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 that's not correct at all and uh, <coughs> i mean in every scheme whether it's pm ayush pm awas all of those schemes karnataka is way ahead in terms of getting those uh, schemes delivered to the citizens look this story of corruption is a legacy story in karnataka because there are too many uh, years and decades of politicians turn entrepreneurs turn real estate that is that dot the landscape of karnataka politics but that is not something that was created in the last 4 years that was created over several decades of a certain type of politics that was practiced by the congress and their other acolytes that has to change that will change it is changing and under uh, prime minister narendra modi ji's bjp uh, that will that will change and this is we are in the process of changing nobody is claiming today that the karnataka is uh, totally cleaned of all the sins of kj george and sidramaiah and dk shivkumar but we are making clearly an effort people understand that that change is underway and that is the uh, mandate that we are going to seek again from them for the next 5 years Right. Thank you so much. I think I've taken a lot of your time. Thank you. Most grateful that you could come Thank here you. and uh, speak to us about a whole range of issues. So uh, we hope to have you soon as <laughs> soon you. as the Karnataka elections Thank are you. done and Thank dusted you. with. Thank you. Thank you Smita. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for watching or listening in to this edition of ANI podcast with Smita Prakash. To like or subscribe on whichever channel you have seen this or heard this. Namaste. Jai Hind.